Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. The NFL season is upon us, the Twins are still in contention, and the Gophers are off to a good start. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to me talk about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week, and a special welcome to those of you checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll come back every week after. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. You know, sometimes in this business, you run across unexpected things. I had um, a person lined up to interview, talk about the Packers a little bit more in the NFL. That person had a situation come up. So Andrew Neuer came to my rescue of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports, and he's going to be here to give us an NFL preview with the Vikings and a little Twins talk after this brief commercial break. Stick around. There's a new newspaper in Waseca County. The Waseca County Pioneer is on the stands and is produced by the same group of people who put together the NRHEG Star Eagle each week. If you're looking for good news in Waseca, Janesville, or New Richland, the Waseca County Pioneer is the place to look. Check it out today, and if you're interested in a subscription, contact the folks at the paper at 507-463-8112 or email at s. Eagle at hickorytech.net. As an added bonus, if you tell them you heard this ad from the Waffle Flipper, you'll get a discounted price for a one-year subscription of only $40. So call 507-463-8112 or email steagle at hickorytech.net and tell them you heard about the Waseca County Pioneer on whatever flips your waffle. Joining the program again this week, Andrew Neuer is here. Let's Talk MN Sports, that's the website you want to check out on Twitter. It's Let's Talk Vikes, Let's, Let's Talk Twins. He's a man of many talents. Andrew, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me again. It's good to be back on. Yeah, third time guest. You're the first one to be here three times. That's awesome. So, uh, Appreciate we, it. Yeah, we want, to, uh, we want to focus in on the NFL this week. Obviously, everybody's getting very excited about um, new Vikings football season, new regime and everything. And you and I talked back in July, and we were looking at you know some of the off-season stuff and and everything. But now, after training camp and everything's kind of wrapped up, what's your just initial buzz on this team? It's kind of hard to for me. I guess it's really hard to gauge almost where I feel about them, just because I mean they obviously didn't win a preseason game. They didn't really play their starters. The only thing you really have to go off of is how do the backups look and obviously just seeing the different notes on Twitter and like kind of watching videos if you weren't able to go to the training camp and join practices whatever so for me it's really hard to tell but I still feel like the buzz is pretty high where there's I talked about it in my podcast last week with one of my guests and I think the ceiling of this team is probably like 11 and 6 yeah 11 and 6 because 17 game game schedule and then you have the floor probably around like seven to ten okay so just the that mid-range and, and if that's if that's the outlook now we're talking about potential wild card not division title if if they if they hit 11 and six yeah correct yeah I, I think it's still i don't know it's hard to say that they'll be the crown of the nfc north just because aaron Rodgers is still in the division, despite you know losing Devonte Adams and some of the other stuff there, but 
I think you still have to give it to Green Bay as as hard as it is to say, but I think the Vikings have a real shot at actually like taking the NFC North this year. It's just really hard to tell with a whole new regime and new coaching staff. Well, and and like you said, you could tune into the preseason games. You didn't see anything of anybody of substance, you know, that that you're hoping is going to contribute um, outside of some linemen and stuff. You know, we don't know what this offense is going to look like. To me, the you know what I was reading and seeing video of and stuff out of the um, the shared practices that they have at the 49ers, that's maybe the best way to start to gauge what this offense might look like because they kind of went pretty full bore on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that was the one, like, joint practice that I got, like, really excited about, especially when you kept hearing things like Justin Jefferson is absolutely destroying every, you know, 49ers, second, like, secondary player. It was, I think, bad, and then just kind of hearing the stuff like Zedarius Smith has been a really big piece on defense for them in those joint practices and in camp. And there's a lot to be excited about just, like, hearing about that, that like you said, that 49ers practice. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, People were excited about it. Even the players, you know, Kirk Cousins got pretty emotional and fired up out there and stuff too. And and it seems there's a different comfort level. And and in the last week, there's been more that's come out about the Zimmer regime and and uh, people just weren't as comfortable. And and you wonder if they're exaggerating now or if they're just feeling more comfortable. Uh, you know, it it just seems that this new coaching staff has has uh, won a lot of followers on the team, and that's pretty important to start. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, like we're going to be talking about the Twins here in a little bit, but it's kind of the same thing with, you know, the Mike Zimmer era, like how players weren't very comfortable. You maybe could say the same thing about last – you could, you couldn't – you can actually say the same thing about last year's Twins and how this year they're talking about clubhouse vibes. And I think you could probably say the same this year for the Vikings. Obviously, it's still fresh and still new. Anything can change between now and week 17, whatever. So there's a lot to go off of, but the vibes already are – pretty high and I think that's going to be really important for this youngish team I would say for the most part they're they have a good mix of everyone but they do have a lot of young talented players yeah and you know the, like we talk about the buzz on this team and everything and and I've started to see this shift in the last week as well where that that opening game against the Packers at U.S. Bank people have been talking about well it's the Packers and and everything, and I've long said, you know, with that game and at Philadelphia in Week Two on a Monday Night game, I'd be really happy with one and one. I just can't figure out which one is which, uh, which one they're going to win, which yeah. one they're going to lose. But I'm starting to see this switch, or there seems to be more trending, and in the betting world and stuff like that too, toward the Vikings coming out on top against the Packers. Um, and I only believe so far the well. You know the Packers coaching staff hasn't seen what this offense can do. I think they're pretty aware of what this offense can do. Yeah, their offense will go as far as Aaron Rodgers takes it, and just like in general for the Minnesota Vikings and stuff, it is like yeah, like you said, it's hard to. The betting lines are showing more favoritism towards Minnesota now. I mean, I guess take that with a grain of salt. I guess right. I mean it's <laughs> awesome to see, but it's still like anything can happen. Injuries happen. Breakout, breakouts happen with different players on different teams. But that week two against the Eagles will be kind of an important test because if you lose that first game against the Packers, you don't want to start your season 0-2 and then have to claw your way back with Green Bay already having that one win up on you. Right. Speaking of the Eagles, Jalen Rager, uh, yep. freshly traded to the Vikings. Uh, you know, I think what we're seeing with 
with uh, Quasi here is we have no idea what to expect. And to me, it seemed like a, a pretty small amount to give up for a former first-round draft pick. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of looked at it as they gave up the fourth, the seventh, and then I mean, the fourth can translate to a fifth depending on how his how he performs or whatever it was. Uh, and then you obviously wave Amir Smith-Marset, so you kind of look at it as you lost of one wide receiver and then two draft picks. But I'm not really, I don't really care that much about draft picks in a sense because once you're in that seventh round, it's such a crapshoot that you don't know what kind of player you're getting. Sure, you might hit, but really, what are you going to, you're betting on basically a former first round wide receiver who wasn't utilized right with Philadelphia, kind of had some off-field issues with fans and the, you know, I don't think he really fit that well with the Eagles system. And I think Minnesota with Kevin O'Connell, with his new offense, I think it could be geared towards him a lot more and maybe he gets more opportunities in the punt team and everything. There's just a lot to like about the trade. I think there's a lot of upside, but also it could basically have like zero negative effects, I think. Right, right. Well, and I think it seems like, you know, punt, kick, returner, that's maybe where they're looking to utilize him the most. And it's not as if we had a high need at wide receiver. Uh, We have one of the best wide receiving cores in the NFL, but in case of an injury, or I can I can imagine plenty of four wide receiver sets this year too, um, that could be just a sneaky sort of a trade that really upgrades this team where they where they don't think they need it, but they might down the road. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, like like you said, I think Kevin O'Connell's going to be kind of smart with what he does offensively in the sets, and I think he could mix and match and throw you know, Jalen Rager and as that fourth receiver on the field, maybe have him in the backfield and try something new with screens and just, I don't, honestly, I don't know like what he's going <laughs> to plan on doing with them because we haven't seen it, but there's a lot to like there. Adam Thielen has been injured a lot these last couple seasons. So you never know if they're going to get a full season with him now with like, you know, his age is getting up there. So having Jalen Rager as that backup option isn't necessarily such a bad thing. Right, and because there are a lot of people who think that K.J. Osborne, based on his performance last year, is really ready to break out to this year, and if that happens, holy cow. I mean, <laughs> just just yeah. line him up and go. Yeah, and like the buzz is pretty high on him, too, just like on Twitter and everything. So there's a lot to like about this wide receiver trio, and then I throw Rager in the mix. If he can you know, be something, he is that former first-round pick, and obviously not every first-round pick hands out, but you have to be talented enough to be selected that high. Right, right. And so now the the you know problem becomes, can the offensive line hold up enough to give Kirk Cousins time back there you know, to, to be able to find all this talent out on the field? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems, I feel like he's going to have one of his better seasons, I just because, you know, maybe he wasn't playing, he's playing more obviously conservative under that Zimmer offense. It's, I think it's going to be really good for him moving forward, especially for his career with these different wide receivers. You have Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, these different even Chandler too. You could be an option in his passing game as well if they want to throw something out there with him. There's just a lot of weapons for him to take advantage of this new offense and I think he's playing a lot more free. Like we, like you said in the 49th practice, he's a little more verbal about stuff, so it's kind of nice to see from him for once. Yeah, he was kind of taking on that leadership some more. I, I have to tell you, I was a little surprised during my fantasy football draft this last week that Kirk Cousins was the 11th quarterback taken in our draft. And 
granted I took Dak Prescott before and Cousins was there, but uh, I just thought, wow, I, I would have thought somebody would have jumped on the potential because, like you say, too, I think he could really have a huge, huge season this year. Um, but maybe there's that, because we're based in Minnesota, we're waiting for our team to let us down and nobody wants them. I don't, uh, I'm not yeah. quite sure, but... Um, that, I mean, he stays healthy, too. So, like, he stays on the field. And, I mean, every year he puts up big stats. It's not like his stats are bad. And right. He's one of the higher-ranked quarterbacks statistically, but it's just can he, like, win those big games? And that's always been the question mark. Right. Yes. You know, there, there's always a thing hanging over him of, primetime games and stuff like that he's sort of done away with that he's won a couple of those but you know we'll see that again this year we'll see it in the Eagles game and uh Thanksgiving night and everything um the the NFL is looking at the Vikings and you're going to see them on some national televised games uh plenty of times so um you know when they made their cuts when the Vikings made their cuts was there anything that really surprised you or is this just kind of you know, we expected Kellen Mond and Sean Mannion to go after the trade for Nick Mullins. But anybody else jump out at you that you said, wow, that was kind of shocking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple that, like, just off the top of your head that were like, oh, that's kind of a little head-scratching. Obviously, like you said, the Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond, especially after the trade for Mullins. I think the one that really kind of stuck out to me was the Armin Wants. And I know a lot of it had to do with just money saving, and then they made the trade for Blacklock and everything. Uh, I've always really liked Armin Watts' game, especially coming out of, I think it was Arkansas. I liked his game there. and So it's kind of surprising to see, especially since he was kind of a little bit of a breakout candidate. There's just a few other guys, you know, that stuck out, like Lynch and everything. But other than that, I guess, like, really, what are they going to... If they're getting caught, they're more than likely just kind of that rotational special teams player. But a lot of the cuts that they did were more geared towards the Zimmer and, like, Spielman era, they wanted to probably do a fresh start or just cost savings. Yeah. We've got Andrew Neuer back on the program. Let's talk MN Sports. Check out all his, his uh, just fantastic information. You can scroll through whichever Minnesota sports team you want to look at. He's got a podcast. He's got he's got a plethora of information out there. You know, you, you referenced just now the, you know, um, kind of a, a clean break maybe from the Zimmer and Spielman era. And really, they have done that. They have cut a lot of guys that Spielman had drafted in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I was never the biggest Spielman fan when it came to some of his picks. Um, but they're really saying, nope, we're just going to go a different way. And Armin Watts was, I think, one of those where he had been kind of practicing with the first team defense anyway. Um, but, you know, other opportunities arise and they're going to go for it. Yeah, the guy they traded for, to the, they traded Armin Watts to the Texans, the guy they got back Blacklock. I believe he was the second-round pick out of TCU, uh, just like the top of my head. I think so, yeah. But maybe he was just utilized wrong, and I know I've heard some other stuff where he was a Deshaun, he was a DeAndre Hopkins kind of like pick that they used from that trade, so maybe there's a lot of stuff there. There's just a lot of like different things that could go on. You know, the Houston Texans obviously have not been managed the best these last couple seasons off season like off the field and on the field so maybe there's a lot of stuff going on over their heads there and maybe the Vikings can unlock something there with him yeah let's hope so it's you know the the only scary thing about some of these cuts is um when they're signing on with division rivals like the Bears picked up um Amir Marset and uh one of the others he eludes me um but you know, when they're signing with these guys, you hope it's not doesn't become that's their breakout game when they play the Vikings later this year. 
Yeah, and I think everyone's kind of fearful that Smith Barset is going to turn into like you know the next wide receiver the Vikings <laughs> should have had as their next trio option. But I mean, he he was a fourth receiver, but also the fourth receiver on a really good wide receiver core. Right, right. One of those who a lot of teams he probably could start for, and and the Bears might ultimately be one of those that he could start for. Um, outside of Darnell Mooney, Marset, you could see him getting in there right away. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's going to be a great opportunity with him, especially if Justin Fields can actually perform kind of how he did in college. You just just any kind of level of improvement. Right. When you look at, I mean, the buzz around Justin Jefferson is is huge. The Star Tribune on Sunday has huge spread on on Jefferson and, and lots of stats and lots of um, great information about him. Are the Vikings going to be able to afford this guy down the road? Because he's going to get huge bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. And I, it, with the NFL going in towards a passing league, obviously we've seen this trend for a while now, but I, even Kevin O'Connell and this new offense, they're, they've already said that they want to be more of a passing offense instead of where we're used to seeing the running the run first with Dalvin Cook. And that could save Dalvin Cook's legs a little probably. But in the sense of I could see them with this new regime realizing with a pass-first offense that they're really going to need a wide receiver like Justin Jefferson. It's just whether or not they can actually pay up for him. I mean, we've seen Minnesota, for the most part, they do a really good job of retaining their players and paying them and kind of using that, their capologist, uh, blanking on the name right now, but uh, he's one of the best in the league, obviously. So it's tough to say. Right now I want to say that he will, but, you know, who knows how much money he's going to get. Some other team could just come in and just pay him a lot more than the Vikings can, especially – you know, Minnesota is pretty up against the cap as it is, so. Right, right. And it is that, it's that pendulum swing, you know, of, you know, it's a passing league and the receivers are going to get their money. Um, but, you know, all the if you take the advanced analytics and they talk about, you know, how much cheaper it is just to draft a guy and he can turn into a good thing too. I mean, maybe not Justin Jefferson level, but um, it, it'll be really interesting uh, to see in the years to come. I always like to... Uh, I like to hit on special teams because I always think those little things make a big difference. And I have to admit to being a little bit shocked when Jordan Berry was released and they're going with the with the rookie, Ryan Wright, who's got the odd number of 66 for a punter. Uh, am I missing something here? Is this, again, maybe a money thing, you know, a, a few bucks here? Uh, or did this guy clearly outperform Jordan Berry? Yeah, no, I think because uh, we were expecting to have a little punt off in Denver, and I actually looked it up just quick there because I thought he did change his number. It's no, he's number fourteen. Now. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, it was sad. I didn't like the the high number in the sixties or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, from just kind of seeing the stuff, I didn't watch a whole lot of the preseason because I was busy with twin stuff and just like outside life. And I, for the most part, just like seeing some clips and like watching some of preseason at times, he's shown that he can be a good punter. And I mean, a six three and. 245, 250, whatever. Yeah. He's he's a big body punter, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see. He showed that he can do a lot. I mean, Jordan Berry was definitely a good good enough punter that you could, you'll could you be on any other NFL team. But, yeah, it's tough to say, but I, I kind of like the move in the sense of just kind of seeing what he could be and what he has kind of already shown. Right, right. When I and, and maybe I watched a little bit more preseason than you did with the exception of the last game. Um, the uh, the the defense looked to be improved, and again, not everybody is playing and stuff. But the scheme itself, 
seem to be more proficient at you know, stopping the run and, and getting to the quarterback a little bit. And so when you throw the key pieces in there too, and if the backups were doing that, and granted against the backups of, of many other teams, but uh, I saw some really positive things there. And I think Ed Donatel might be one of those coaches that we talk about and say, wow, that was a great hire. Um, and he got these guys going on that defense in the right direction pretty quickly. Yeah, and the big thing for me is seeing how his defensive scheme of 3-4 is going to really affect things. And uh, I believe Harrison Phillips had some time in the preseason, didn't he? Like in the yeah. first game or two. Yep, yep. And there's a lot of good buzz with him there stopping the run. And obviously, Minnesota wasn't the best at stopping the run last season, and he was one of the better run defenders in the league. So that'll be a huge addition there up the middle. So that's going to be the huge thing is seeing this new 3-4 defense. And I think it's going to be a good change, especially with how you can utilize Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter on the edges. Yeah, and, and again, the key is avoiding injuries. Zedarius Smith, you know, a lot of these other guys have been so dinged up all the time. Um, it's time to go. And I, I have no problem with them not playing in the preseason. Um Jeepers, some of these preseason games are just, just worthless uh, to sit and watch. I can't believe people are forced to pay full ticket price. But uh, yeah. when we look at, so, so you know, based on our earlier discussion, um, you still have the Packers as the favorite in the division. Um, Vikings come too. Is Detroit starting to sneak into that equation a little bit? They have a chance to really make a move this year. Yeah, and I think even just, I don't, I don't watch any hard knocks, but obviously there's a lot of buzz with them after that. And usually there is sort of some buzz after hard knocks, but I would say Detroit is probably that third team just because they are young, they are kind of getting, they are showing stuff. And I think you have a little, I think you have to have a little more faith in the Lions, especially with Campbell as their head coach. The Bears just haven't really shown anything for you to be excited about, especially uh, with their, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, their best defensive player wanting out and then obviously obviously not getting traded or anything but for now I think you have to say that it is the Packers division with Minnesota trailing and then Detroit kind of creeping in there at the end yeah well I, I read the Sports Illustrated uh, preview issue and they have the Lions in second place with the Vikings in third and who knows? We certainly hope that's not true. But um, that that was more of the the floor that you talked about. The Vikings, I think they had them at like seven and ten or something like that, and the and the Lions at nine and eight. Boy, if the Lions got to nine and eight, Dan Campbell might be coach of the year if something, <laughs> if something like that happened. Yeah. Um, so they'd be pretty raucous over there in Detroit. Yeah, something to something to uh, cheer about. Restore the roar, as the common man Dan Cole likes to say a lot. Uh, when we look around the NFC, then. Uh, you know, defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, but there's not as much talk about them as one would think as far as being able to repeat. Um, a lot of, you know, everybody seems to think the 49ers might be able to jump over them this year. Who knows, maybe the Cardinals won't wilt under pressure like they usually do. Um, does Tom Brady have another run in him? Could the Cowboys actually do something for once? You know, there's a lot out there, but but um, ultimately when we look at at the NFC, Who's going to the Super Bowl this year? It's tough to say. I mean, I mean, it seems like an easy answer just to be like, yeah, it'll be Tampa Bay because Tom Brady and everything. I mean, it's hard to actually like discredit them, even though Tom Brady did miss a couple bad days there for Tampa Bay. But it's tough. I'd say it's between obviously Tampa Bay and LA. But 
I kind of just want to give the swing to Tampa Bay just because if I could see this being after Tom Brady lost that game to the Rams like that and that fashion that he did, it's hard to see him not coming back and using that more as motivation and winning a Super Bowl and then finally hanging up the cleats. I think <laughs> I think he just wants to go out with a bang almost. So I maybe this is the year. Yeah, well, I've I've thought that after his last two Super Bowl wins, now it's time, and then yeah. he keeps coming back, and and um, my fear is that he hangs on so long that he gets to the point where he actually can't perform at at a Tom Brady level. Um, yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree with you there. I don't, I, I do think the Rams are going to fall off a little bit. I I I struggle a little bit just because of uh, you know the arm problems of um, um, oh my gosh, how do I blank on their quarterback? Uh, he's been on my fantasy football team too many times over the years. Uh, help me out here. Rams quarterback. Uh, uh, Matthew Stafford. Thank you. My goodness. Uh, he's had some elbow problems, and I, I'm just a little bit concerned about that long term. Uh, but but how about a team, you know, they always talk about the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. How about a team that might make a big jump this year and come back into contention that wasn't in the playoffs last year? I feel like you could look at towards like the NFC East. There's so many question marks about them. They've been so average of as of like the last couple of years. There's so much, so much that goes on in that division that it's just so average. But there is a lot of talented players and a lot of things that could go right for those teams. If I'm going to be looking at a division, it's going to be one of those games. I feel like they're always kind of that eight and eight in the past, and now 17 games they're kind of hovering that 500 record. I can't remember exactly which teams were. I'd have to look it up, but if I were to say, it'd be someone from the NFC East. Okay. I was kind of thinking that, too. As some reason, I think the Eagles could do something this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of, if Jalen Hurts kind of takes that next step right. in his development. Right. Because I don't, I don't see much out of the Giants unless Saquon Barkley goes back to his old form. But even then, and, and the, the Commanders, I have to get used to saying that, the Washington Commanders, uh, <laughs> I just... Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard to picture them. Flip it over to the AFC. Anybody jump out at you and you say, wow, this is a team that can really make a run this year? I mean, I think, honestly, like we said the NFC East, but the AFC East is kind of in the same category there with, you know, Miami. If You know, they have Tyreek Hill now, if Tua can connect with them. Then you have Buffalo, obviously, New England. Their offense has been kind of negative so far that we've seen up at least like right now the Jets could be something but it's just the Jets they did have a good draft they, there is a lot of buzz with them but that division is going to be tough and then you have Denver and AFC West is oh. just going to be here I would not want to be in that division you know with Russell Wilson getting a new deal you have Patrick Mahomes Derek Carr and Justin Herbert that's going to be just brutal and then you have the AFC South that's that's going to be a pretty easy division. Tennessee's probably going to run away in that one, you know, Houston there. And then I think Matt Ryan's on the Colts now, isn't he? Yes, yep, yep. Yep, that's going to be weird to get used to. <laughs> and obviously Jacksonville. So really Tennessee's going to run away with that. And then AFC North and everything. But that AFC West, I can't even, like, really fully comprehend, like, that, like what's going on there because there's just so much to watch. Well, the... the that's the best quarterback division in the NFL, hands down. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and that's probably one where whatever the over/under is in Vegas, you probably want to bet the over each week. Um, 
when they're playing each other, especially. I, you know, Denver's defense is is pretty stout, but how, how do you match up when you're playing these other teams six times? You know, it, it's it's difficult to comprehend and and think about that. Um, I, I just like with the Rams kind of regressing. I'm not sure that Cincinnati can maintain. I mean, Joe Burrow certainly showed some some great things, but it's like anything. Everybody has that much more game tape on you because you went to the Super Bowl, and I think teams will plan around them. Not that I don't think they can win their division because I, I think that their division is there to be had. Uh, Baltimore might be their only real contender, but but it, it's difficult. When you mentioned the AFC East, I'm right with you there too. I think if Tua, I think he's got a lot of motivation to show that he can do some good things, and, and Miami, I think, could make a jump. I don't know if anybody knocks Buffalo off in that division, um, they're kind of the trendy pick to go to the Super Bowl finally, but um, but Miami, I think, too, could surprise a few people. Yeah, there's there's just so many question marks with the AFC. I think NFC, you kind of know what you're probably going to be getting, but there's just so much that goes on. And just on Denver, one last point, like Russell Wilson obviously didn't have the best year with Seattle last year. He struggled. You know, he had the injury with the hand and everything. If he stays healthy, that's going to be just another quarterback that if, if, at least in the past, he's been top five or one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. So that's going to be huge to kind of see like, if he can perform back to that level. Yeah. We've got Andrew Neuer with us here. Let's talk MN Sports. And uh, we, we've kind of covered the NFL here and, and um, talk about the Vikings and, and everything else. And everybody's just excited and pumped up to go. But the other side of this is in September when we're sitting down on Sunday afternoon to watch the Vikings, uh, there's still meaningful Twins baseball going on, and we hope that that'll remain that way throughout September. Uh, they've fallen off. They're, they're, they're that up and down. They're the, the biggest roller coaster outside of Valley Fair here in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, like like I said, there's you don't know what kind of team you're going to get. They can either put up 10 runs or they're going to give you zero and like last night, they were almost no hit. And granted, Dylan Cease is a potential Cy Young Award winner. But then you had the series ago with the Giants and the Red Sox where the offense looked like they are back. And then the next game, once it kind of feels like once they're at home, they kind of figure it out. But once they hit the road, it's just, I have to look at their home and away record. But, man, it, you just never know what's going to happen. So it'll be... Yeah, and that's it's so difficult because, obviously, t- teams tend to play better at home. Um, than they do on the road. But if you want to be a contending team, it I don't know, it shouldn't be quite that big. I'm pulling up the things right now. Um, as of us talking here on Sunday, they're 40 and 29 at home, 27 and 35 on the road are the Twins. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I was going to say, they're, the way they play at home compared to on the road, and obviously you should be a better team. I am. It feels like once they you know, travel to another stadium. They completely lose who they are. Yeah, it, it's it's so difficult because, like you say, they, they start to get the offense back, then it goes away, and certainly the quality of pitcher that you face has something to do with that. But on the other hand, uh, in the Friday night game at Chicago where they start with an opener, and the Twins, again, we've seen this all season long, have opportunities to score more runs than they do, and they just continue to leave runners in scoring position. I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you... You fix the ability to get a hit in the most crucial times. Yeah, and obviously, obviously injuries, like we talked about, I feel like every time when I come on here or you come on my thing, there's a lot of injuries. 
there's just so much like that bad plays a factor in. But then you also have to rely on your hitters when it matters most. Luis Arise hasn't been the same Luis Arise as we've seen. Maybe he's a little banged up, which I wouldn't blame him for how he's been playing this year, how much he's been relied upon. Carlos Correa has started to come through a little more, but for the most part, he wasn't really the same Carlos Correa as we've seen, you know, with Houston and everything. And then, obviously, Byron Buxton, you know, on the IL for the first time. And I still I still like the way they handled it, but I don't know. Like, they, they just, they're, they're guys that have relied upon in the past that they should be relying upon now just hasn't come through. Right, and you're, you're sitting here and you have, you have lineups with um, you know, Jake Cave and Gilberto Celestino, who are fine utility players, but they're having to play so many games. And uh, Polanco on the DL now too. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't help. They they have every team deals with injuries, but it seems like the Twins have had more than their fair share of that. And and even the idea of um, Tyler Malley comes back off the IL and just doesn't seem to have it. Doesn't you know one wonder one is concerned about that shoulder because um, he started off on Saturday night throwing in the 90s and then dropped back down into the 80s again and um, there's got to be something going on there. I think I lost you there for a oh, second. Yep. Your AirPods just completely died. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm Tyler Malley. Uh, yeah, so like the shoulder injury is kind of concerning and it'll be interesting to see what they do. At least like Josh Weiner is close to returning. It should be interesting to see when they or what they decide I think it's I don't want to say shut them down for the season because they need them come September like now and come October down the stretch but if this shoulder injury is going to be playing a long term factor and he is you know tied up for long term sort of you know he's not like a one and done like type on the contract like Michael Fulmer was right do you save him then or do you you know keep trying to push for that playoffs, but you, they do have other pitchers, you know, Sidney Woods Richardson, you know, Louis Barlin could be playing a factor, maybe they bring up Devin Spencer again, but there's just a lot of, there's a lot of question marks with the starting rotation. Well, and it seems to me that we're back to the same old Twins idea that early in the season, everybody thought, oh, Joel Ryan, he can be a number one, or Sonny Gray, we don't really have a number one. I have I have no idea who you would throw out there. I mean, if you got to pick, if you're if things were set up and you had time to to decide, you know, rest your pitchers, who you would throw out in game one of a playoff series. I I don't know who I'd pick. I have no idea. Yeah, and I've kind of like played around with that too. I almost would say, if fully healthy, Tyler Malley almost is your guy. You know, Sonny Gray is better than Joe Ryan, but the problem with the problem with the Sonny Gray is that once he hits that fifth or sixth inning, his pitch count is so high already, and he doesn't give up a hit almost like – it feels like he gives up one or two hits and no runs, and then in that fifth or sixth, you know, third time through the lineup, that's when it starts to go, you know, left, pretty hard, take a hard left. But Joe Ryan can – he is a little streaky, but that's a rookie, he's a rookie pitcher, so you obviously expect that with him. But at least he can give you six or seven innings some nights depending on – the type of Joe Ryan you're getting, and with time, you know that should become more consistent. But yeah, like like I said, Sonny Gray is just—it's almost like he's trying to go for strikeouts only, where he's pitching way too much and trying to, you know, you know, essentially just do too much, where his pitch count is getting too high. Where if he just throws it and it relies on his defense, maybe he can go further in games and his pitch count is a lot better. Right. 
And you know, what I fear is this, is that just like a couple of years ago when they were in the playoffs against Houston, and your starting pitcher might give you, you know, five really solid innings, and it's a close game, and having to rely on our bullpen to shut things down, and I feel a little better about our bullpen now, but, uh, you know, to get like four innings out of our bullpen in a close game consistently doesn't seem like it's always going to work. Um, Jorge Lopez has uh, reverted a little bit. Uh, I think I saw Nick Nelson on of Twins Daily. He tweeted out the other day that you know Jorge Lopez turning back into a pumpkin after the Twins <laughs> trade for him seems very Minnesota-like. Uh, any yeah. any concerns there about maybe he isn't what we thought he was? Um, not a whole lot. And I, obviously, he's not been the same kind of closer that we saw with the Baltimore Orioles, that same All-Star closer, but. He, I mean, there's going to obviously be some regression. Maybe not change of scenery is is a kind of having an effect. But obviously, he's not really a whole swing and miss type pitcher, despite how good his stuff is. Yeah, I think the sense is that we're a little disappointed. And obviously, there is reason to be disappointed. But I think his ERA is still three. He's still he's not he's not been bad. He's just not been he's. You just don't know. It's been 50-50 almost, but, you know, his ERA is still around that three mark, so I feel like we're more disappointed in the sense that, like, we're expecting this all-star dominant closer who's going to come in and save the day for us every single night inning. Right, and right. we just haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, we'll finish with this, Andrew. Uh, what percentage chance do you give the Twins to make the playoffs yet this year? we got about a month to go. Uh, are we at 50-50? Do, do you feel like they're going to make a run here and, and overtake the Guardians? Um, where are we right now? Yeah, I feel like I should be like more pessimistic about it, but they are still one game under. They do have this series coming up against the Yankees. But what I talked about in my last podcast with one of, one of my guests, that though they do have eight games against the Guardians, so they have, they have control of their own destiny. You can make it 80-20 and be like, well, they have eight games. As long as they take care of those eight games, they should be okay. No, they do have, once they get past that Yankee series, it's pretty much just smooth sailing with your divisional opponents like the Guardians, the White Sox. I believe there's one series in there with the Angels, but then you have Kansas City and Detroit that you'll have to take advantage of. I would say 50-50 just because they are a game behind, but I think we're starting to see a little bit of slip from Cleveland here, especially with their two starting pitches going on the you know, the IL there. So that'll play a major factor down the road, especially because they're using pitchers that aren't, you know, veterans or, you know, they relied upon, uh, I believe it was maybe Cody Morris off the top of my head. Uh, he was a rookie pitcher and he didn't do the greatest, but, you know, you're relying on a rookie pitcher. So Minnesota has control of their own destiny. It's just whether or not they actually capitalize on it down the stretch. Yeah, well, we'll hope for the best. And um, I think in Minnesota, we hope for the best and expect the worst. And, uh, <laughs> and we go from there. Um, I'm optimistic as well. So uh, Andrew Neuer, Let's Talk MN Sports. Check him out on Twitter at, at Let's Talk Vikes and Let's Talk Twins, Wolves, Wild, everything, anything you, you need for your Minnesota sports fix. Andrew, thanks for joining us again this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun talk sports, and I'll have to get you on again here relatively soon. All right, sounds good. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. We, uh, with Andrew, went into quite a bit of detail on the Vikings and their upcoming season. Uh, talked about the Twins as well, but we'll, we'll catch up on them as well here um, up to date. 
uh, from when I talked to Andrew. But let's start with the Golden Gopher football team, one in convincing fashion against New Mexico State. And there are a lot of things to like about this game, not just the fact that Jerry Kill actually came and shook P.J. Fleck's hand after the game, but uh, there, there was some balance. Mo Ibrahim came back, looked at full strength, and again, New Mexico State's not a good football team. Uh, but Ibrahim with 132 yards, a couple touchdowns. We throw in there Trey Potts, who also looked good last year before getting hurt, and he had 89 yards and a touchdown as well. And then you balance that with Tanner Morgan, 174 yards, nothing fancy and flashy, but enough to balance things out. You know, we, we had talked about with Tony Liebert a couple weeks ago, the uh, the offensive line is going to have to kind of come together and gel. They only had one returning starter from last year. Uh, and again, it's it's nice when you can play these teams that really aren't that good and, uh, and have that opportunity to kind of learn as you go before they hit the Big Ten schedule. So a great start defense as well, looking solid. And as Tony and I had talked about, there, there's a lot to like about that defense. And uh, you know, really, there's optimism in Gopher country. Uh, we'll see when they get to the Big Ten schedule. But again, what should be a cream puff this week in western Illinois, the Leathernecks, who lost their first game. Th- this should be a, a, a walk right over them. But Bowling Green was supposed to be that last year, too. And I'm pretty sure P.J. Flex not going to have his team get caught by surprise anymore when you have this this solid team, as he does, uh, that really feel like they can contend for the Big Ten West crown. Now, is any, anybody going to beat Ohio State on the other side? Probably not. You know, they took care of business with Notre Dame this last week. It wasn't a pretty game, um, but... but Ohio State comes out on top against the highly ranked opponent to start the year, and it's it's tough sometimes. You don't have this, however you want to term them, I always call them kind of like a preseason game, non-conference game. These cream puffs they put on the schedule, and uh, they come right out of the gates and, and win a big game to start. So a big step for the Ohio State Buckeyes. But, again, the Gophers' goals involve let's win the Big Ten West, and then you worry about everything else because in one game you never know what's going to happen. Um but but again, you know, you look at the Gophers, you say, okay, Ibrahim might be one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, Morgan's got so much experience at quarterback. He's got his offensive cord- coordinator back. Uh, a lot of possibilities here with this Gopher team, and, and they could really surprise a lot of people. And it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, to see them roll through this preseason or the non-conference schedule and to go out to East Lansing in week four and give the Michigan State Spartans a run for their money uh, and maybe even pull off an upset. You never know, right? I'm uh, duckies and bunnies right now, I guess, as far as, as the Gophers go to start the season. The Twins, uh, as Andrew and I talked about, the biggest roller coaster ride there is here in the state, it's unbelievable how you can look so good against the Giants and the Red Sox and then you go on the road in what you know is an important series in Chicago and drop two out of three. And you you have to know, what do we have to do to win ball games? And you, you can't win a close game that you should win on Friday night when uh, the White Sox are going with a, you know, a committee by pitcher, don't have a starting pitcher, and you can't take advantage of that. And then, of course, Dylan Cease with the one-hit wonder uh, Luis Arai showing why he is a professional hitter and in the conversation for the best batting average in the league this year by breaking up the no-hit bid. 
And everybody's like, oh, it'd be nice if Cease had the had the no-hitter. No, it wouldn't. The Twins have been victimized by no-hitters in perfect games uh, way too many times. It's been since 2012. It's been a decade since it's happened. Um, but they've ha- got quite a string, and they don't need to add on to that. They come out and win on Sunday. It took till late to put the game away. Um, you know, Carlos Correa has some big hits. Uh, along the way, Miranda with another big hit. Uh, in my book, if you're picking the Twins Rookie of the Year right now, it's really difficult because Miranda has come through offensively. Miranda, clear choice, um, but pitching-wise, Duran uh, has been unbelievable. You know, he comes in in situations now, and again, I think we'd all love to see him in the ninth inning role, but I'm starting to get a few things uh, when it comes to the idea that he came in in a, a runners in scoring position and won out on Sunday and fielded his position and made the pitches to get out of it without any more runs scoring. Well, I guess you do want your best pitcher there, and and that's kind of where he fits into that situation. So um, it works, and, and I guess we're going to go with it. I'm not really of the fire Rocco camp right now. I think he's kind of there. there, there is a plan in place, and I don't necessarily have to like it, but um, they're the professionals. They go out to Yankee Stadium, and, and at least on Monday, um, by the time you listen to this, they'll have three of the four games done. But Monday, they give it a go, but you just there's something about Yankee Stadium. There's something about the New York Yankees, and it's a mindset. And Aaron Judge is a monster. He's a beast, clearly. But the, the Twins have to find a way to scratch out wins against these really good teams. They couldn't do it against the Houston Astros at all this year. They've got to be able to do that because you you want to have some, you want to split with the Yankees, you want to do something like that so that you go into the weekend series with the Cleveland Guardians and everything is really on the line. And so help me, if Emilio Pagan makes an appearance in a Cleveland Guardians game that's not already blown out of the water in one way or the other, I think the revolt will be on for sure. You know, he gave up a, a home run on Monday um, to Kiner Falefa, the, the shortstop that the Twins had for a cup of tea before they traded him for Sanchez and Urshela. This is a guy who hit a second home run all year. Pagan doesn't have it. I don't understand why he's he's getting opportunities in games that are anything other than five uh, runs one way or the other. And even there, I'd be a little wary if we had, uh, if we had the five-run lead. They've got to figure this out, and, and you know Molly's back on the the injured list. That doesn't bode well. You make a trade. Um, I don't know what to think about this team. They kind of patch it all together, and we'll keep saying this. I didn't expect them to be in this position at this point in the season. I had predicted 82 to 88 wins. I was being really optimistic and said, "Man, with Correa, maybe they could do that." Well, Correa hasn't been the one that's propelled them into this territory. It's been more of you know, different guys coming through, and it's not Ben Correa and Buxton and all those guys. It's Jose Miranda. It was Kirloff when he went on a run. Uh, you know, it, it's these guys that, that come in here and show, hey, we can do a little bit too. And somehow that that pitching unit, which is more of a mash unit these days, finds ways to at least keep them in games. By the time we next talk, we're going to have uh, a really good viewpoint. You know, could they play the Cleveland Guardians? you know, and take care of business. And you're not going to sweep the Guardians, but you can't get swept. 
two out of three. We've been saying it all season long, two out of three, two out of three. We'll see, because it's the Guardians, the Kansas City Royals, a team that's done for the year, stick a fork in them, and then the Guardians again. you got a lot of games here that can really uh, put things in gear. But again, the White Sox are right there. They're not going away. It's going to be a very mediocre team that comes out of the American League Central. Um, but we'd certainly like to get to that position and see what happens from there. Lastly, your Minnesota Vikings. Um, as I had said earlier, I had a guest lined up that I hoped to have on from the Packer perspective and uh, get get some ideas there from, from the Green Bay Packer point of view, people who know their team very, very well, and things kind of fell through. When you break down this game, you know, when Vegas puts odds on a game, the home team gets three points to start. So if you ever see a team favored by three, they're saying it's a pretty even game. Um, I look at this and I say, okay, so the Vikings get three. And you start to look at the, the pros and cons. Who's better in what positions? Aaron Rodgers, better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. He's proved it time and time again. Cousins is a very good quarterback. But now you have to take into account who's who are the rest of the offensive performers around you. And in Rodgers' case, clearly the skill position players are well below what the Vikings have. Okay, uh, Delvin Cook is better than Aaron Jones, right? Justin Jefferson is better than Alan Lassard. And you kind of keep going down that list. You know, even Irv Smith Jr., if he plays, hopefully he plays um, somewhat injured, is probably better than Robert Tunyon. How much does the quarterback elevate that? How much difference does that make? We're going to find out on Sunday at noon um, or 3 o'clock. I I believe the game's at 3 o'clock. We're going to find that out uh, in a pretty quick hurry. 325, yep, just double-check that. Um, Find that out in a real quick hurry on Sunday. Where I think this falls is, will the Vikings' defense, this new 3-4 defense, gel quickly enough and have things figured out to be able to stymie Aaron Rodgers? Are you going to give him some fits? Are you going to be physical with uh, their guys at the line of scrimmage? If you do that and show, hey, we got this figured out already, I give the Vikings a real chance. What concerns me is I know they're practicing and everything, but they didn't really have a lot of game action with their number one offense, their number one defense, except those shared practices with the 49ers. And I'm concerned about a new offense and a new defense coming in and guys knowing what they have to do and and having the proclivity to say, oh, I have to adjust to this situation and this situation. And so when I look at the game and I say, okay, well, I really want to root for the Vikings. I've said I think these first couple games you know, versus the Packers at Philadelphia on a Monday night, uh, I think they're going to split those. And I, I, it's just so hard for me to figure out how is that going to happen. Um, but I look at this, and I really want to pick the Vikings to win, and a lot of people are swaying that direction. There's a lot of hype now about the Vikings, even though ESPN and Sports Illustrated are putting them kind of way down there. At the end of the day, I feel like the Packers are going to pull this one off, and I'm going to go 30-28. to 28. Aaron Rodgers you know, leads the drive late, and our defense – trips over each other a little bit and can figure out a way to stop them. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you can all sit there on Sunday and laugh at me and say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but I guess we'll find out. I'm going to go with the experience of Aaron Rodgers and his ability to find ways to win ball games. I'm going to give the opening game to 
the Green Bay Packers. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On September 7th, in 1984, Carl Polad assumed control of the Minnesota Twins after purchasing the club from Calvin Griffith earlier that year. Polad's children, of course, are the owners today. In 2019, on September 7th, Michael Pineda was suspended 60 games by Major League Baseball for use of a banned substance. That night, the Twins beat Cleveland 5-3, and Mitch Garver hit home runs 27-28 and on the season, setting a Twins record for a catcher. He would, of course, tack on to that and ended up with more than 30 that season. On September 8th, in 2012, the Twins retired Tom Kelly's number 10. Great manager, two World Series championships, well-earned for Tom Kelly. In 2021, on September 8th, Joe Ryan earned his first career win with a 3-0 win over Cleveland on the road. We hope for many more in Joe's career with the Twins. On September 9th, in 1984, Kent Herbeck hit the longest home run by a twin in the Metrodome, 480 feet to right field in a 9-3 loss to Texas. I can't even imagine how many rows up that went in the upper deck of right field at the Dome. On September 9th in 1998, Corey Koski became the 500th player to play for the Minnesota Twins. When he entered a game against Anaheim, which the Twins lost 10-8, Koski was 0-2 with two strikeouts. He would go on to a good career with the Twins. On September 10th in 2000, the Twins traded Hector Carrasco to the Red Sox for Lou Ford. Lou was a fan favorite. They loved to shout his name. He just had to make sure you knew they weren't booing him. On September 11th in 1974, Harmon Killebrew hit his final home run as a twin, a walk-off two-run home run in the 10th inning in a 5-3 win over Oakland. Killebrew ended with 475 home runs as a twin, over 500 overall in his career. On September 11th in 1999, Eric Milton twirled a no-hitter in a 7-0 win over the Angels at the Dome. That was a Saturday 11.05 start time back when the Twins and the Golden Gophers shared the Metrodome. So the Gophers had a game that evening, and there was stuff about they had to be done by a certain time in order to be able to get the stands all rearranged for football. It was quite a mess back in those days. Uh, But Milton took care of things very efficiently that day for the Twins. On September 11th in 2001, all Major League Baseball games were postponed because of the attacks on the World Trade Center. They would resume, I think it was about a week later, uh, certainly a difficult time in our nation, something that still lingers with us today. In 2010, on September 11th, the Twins and Indians were scoreless through 11, the longest scoreless streak to start a game in progressive field history. Jim Tomei would go on to hit a home run in the 12th for a one to nothing Twins win. In 2013, Byron Buxton was named Minor League Player of the Year by Baseball America, and we hope that he will heal up and be healthy enough to keep earning accolades at the Major League level. On September 12th in 1986, the Twins fired Ray Miller and replaced him with Tom Kelly as their manager. The Twins beat Texas 4-2 that night. Kelly was hired as the permanent coach in the offseason, though not without some difficulty. Um, they wanted to interview all these other people and stuff, and the, the Twins players kind of came to Kelly's rescue and said, we want him to be the man for the job. That worked out pretty well. 
On September 12th in 2003, Joe Maurer was named Minor League Player of the Year by Baseball America, the first twin to do so. So both he and Buxton have earned that honor, the only two twins. In 2016, on September 12th, Brian Dozier hit home run number 40 in a 4-2 loss in Detroit. At the time, he was only the second twin to hit at least 40 home runs in a season, the other being Harmon Killebrew. On September 13th in 1994, Terry Ryan was announced as new general manager, replacing Andy McPhail. McPhail, of course, had put together the Twins World Series championship teams. Ryan came in for a long tenure, and in fact, in 2007 on September 13th, perhaps he planned it this way, Terry Ryan announced he would step down as general manager at the end of the season to be replaced by Bill Smith. The Bill Smith uh, experiment didn't work out so well. Ryan came back for a little while then um, as general manager, but he spent a long, long tenure. I got to hear Terry Ryan speak at a baseball coach's clinic at St. Olaf one year, and a, a really well-spoken gentleman had a lot of interesting information about baseball for youth coaches. On September 13th in 2014, the Twins and White Sox combined for 29 strikeouts in a White Sox win in Chicago, a Twins record for combined Ks in a game. For our local listeners, this week in Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva Sports, September 8th, volleyball home opener against the Waterville Legion Morristown Buccaneers. September 9th, the football home opener versus Mayor Lutheran. And September 13th, the cross-country team is at Blooming Prairie, and the volleyball team gets a long Tuesday road trip to Randolph. Remember, if you want to tune in, you can't join us in person. We stream all of our home games on the NFHS network. And uh, for volleyball games, you can hear me do some play-by-play in the gym. Uh, At the football games, we don't do that, but you will hear my voice over the loudspeakers calling the games for some power Panther football. Well, that's going to do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to spend another hour with me. I hope you'll continue to tune in each and every week on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode will replay every evening at that same time. Shows also archived to YouTube and Spotify. You can check out all of the past episodes and uh, listen to some of the great interviews we've had. Remember, if you have thoughts about this, if you think perhaps you could be a good interview, email me at waffleflipper22 at gmail.com. Message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Next week, we'll dive back into the world of Minnesota sports. Where will the Twins be? How will the Vikings have done? We're going to start our brand new segment, Wisdom with Wyatt. He'll be on Wyatt Grosskreitz each and every week after a Vikings game to give us some feedback and debriefing. I look forward to doing that with Wyatt. And uh, we'll have at least one and maybe two other special guests as the Twins, excuse me, the Vikings. Twins are playing too. It's going to be crazy. The Vikings will be getting ready for the Philadelphia Eagles. Come on back and uh, help me delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.